need to hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, I was in College Station. I was starting off a fall semester with our college students, and my series was on the text that we are going to study today, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So I spent five weeks on that. I get one week this time. So the, the series, though, was titled A Church Reset, and the tagline was this, Unlearning Christianity in Order to Follow Christ. And I think so many of us need that today. Unlearning Christianity in order to follow Christ. And one of the key takeaways or one of the big uh, quotes I found on that as I was studying this passage and I was reading other stuff, David Platt, the former uh, president of IMB, a fantastic preacher, pastor, leader in the church and in Baptist world, he has a quote that says this, It says, as we look at the modern-day church with the massive buildings, with programs most nights of the week, with rules on what to wear, disputes over what to sing, and fights over carpet colors. He, He said this, he said, is any of this what Jesus had in mind when he established his church all those years ago? Is any of this what Jesus had in mind when he established his church. Friends, I think we have complicated and confused what being a Christian is about. Uh, We've put a lot of rules, regulations, and restrictions on this choice to follow Jesus and to live in response to who he is and what he has done. I mean, just about every aspect of the Christian life is confusing. That's why Christian bookstores are filled with books on all of these subjects, right? Prayer has gotten confusing. Devotions have gotten confusing. Abiding feels confusing and complicated. The word discipleship is so confusing, nobody even knows what it means. It's all gotten confusing. What to worship, how to worship, what instruments should we worship with, what songs should we sing, how old should the songs be, has all gotten complicated. Is any of this what Jesus desired for his church? We've busied our calendars, but have we missed the mark? We need to unlearn Christianity in order to follow Christ. So today I want to get us back to the basics. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 42. Let me set up where we've been. To start this uh, chapter of Acts, we saw the Holy Spirit fall upon the 120 gathered believers in an upper room, and they began to to speak in languages they did not previously know, and all this gathered community in Jerusalem that were there to worship for the Pentecost, that they, they were all there to worship, they begin to hear the wonders and the works of God spoken in their native tongues, and so they are confused. Some people say, are they drunk? Others want to know more, and so Peter says, no, we're not drunk, and he begins to teach a sermon from verses 14 through 41. And, and last week we talked about the sermon was to correct their misunderstanding of who Jesus is. It was to convict their hearts and it was to call them to salvation. And Peter hits the mark on all that he was setting out to do. And it says in verse 41 that 3,000 members or 3,000 people responded to the call to salvation. They repented of their sins, they were baptized, and they now form this church. And think about it, the church that was 120, that sounds around familiar, then grew to 3,120. 
Some of you would go, whoa, 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 that would create a lot of problems. They're good problems. Some of you would go, that would be chaotic. It's good chaos. Some of you would be going, well, what would we do? We will figure it out, and I think we would take a cue from Acts 2, 42 through 47, to, fi to figure out what must we focus on. So whether the church grows by 25 times or not, here is what repentant, baptized, believing followers of Jesus ought to be doing. So let's open that text up. Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. Let me read it for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning, I want us to break down those five verses. And I want us to look into... Uh, what is being taught, and then I wanted to apply it to our life. So, the first thing I see is the third word of verse 42 jumps out to me. They were devoted. Devoted is a key term to describe how this church is operating. Devoted means to attend constantly, to continue on. It's to persist and it even brings with it persistence with intense effort. Devotion is not a passive mindset or activity. It is very active. Too often we view our spiritual life passively, and it happens to us, but they were devoted. They were, the, the broadest definition of this is steadfastly continuing to all of these things. It was not a one-time, okay, we were baptized and we move on. No, they were devoted. See, this life-altering decision to follow Jesus alters their life. The life-altering decision to surrender to Jesus and believe that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life, it, it changed everything for them. A life-altering decision with life-altering effects. Is that how you would describe you're coming to Jesus, that it was life-altering. I hope so. I hope it still is. So they were devoted, but what were they devoted to? It says first, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Some of you may go, man, if we could just get a copy of that apostles' teaching, we would probably be devoted too. If we could just hear their stories and, and learn what they knew and, and to kind of hear their voice, well, let me tell you, friends, we've got it. We've got the words of Peter and Paul and John and James. We, we have what was the, the, the focus of what they were teaching every day. They actually wrote it down for us so that we would not miss out on it either. We have it in leather and hardback and digital formats. However you want it, we can give it to you. If you don't have a copy of the Apostles' Teaching and beyond, we would love to give you a copy. Take one from the pew in front of you. Because we believe that if our lives are centered on the truth, this is where God is speaking to us. 
And so they were devoted to learning more about how Jesus fit into the whole story God has been sharing over the course of history. And so what is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching is what we have in the New Testament from Paul and Peter and James and John. It's what we have in the Gospels from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's what we have in the Old Testament from Isaiah and Ezekiel, from the Psalms, from Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy and all of that. This is the whole canon of truth that we need to devote our lives to. The early church was devoted to the truth. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to growing in their knowledge of Jesus so that they could learn from Jesus so they could live like Jesus. But sadly, even though most of us have multiple Bibles in our homes right now, very, very few ever utilize the Bible, ever open the Bible. It, it says that, or I was reading some statistics this week, 60% of Americans would call themselves Christians, but less than a quarter will ever touch their Bible or open their Bible within a week. And sadly, that number is at a decade low. It just keeps going down. One reason I send a daily devotion to you guys every morning in your email is not to then count as your Bible reading, no, but it's to help encourage you and remind you to engage with God in the truth of His Word. So every devotion has a scripture attached to it, and I encourage you to continue to dive deeper into the scriptures because we need to be engaging with God. We need to be devoted to His Word. The early church was devoted to the Word of God. Are you? Maybe a great question to ask is, does your Bible move between Sundays? You may be great at bringing it to church. Yeah, it moves every week. But does it move during the week? Do you connect with the Scripture during the week? Honestly, most self-proclaimed believers do not. And we wonder why the church has lost its power. I guarantee you it has something to do with we do not know the Word of God, care about the Word of God, or attend to the Word of God. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were also devoted to fellowship. The Greek word here is koinonia. You may have heard that before. It means togetherness. It's a gathered community that is close-knit. What we see here is the early church did not live isolated from one another. The early church didn't just have a personal faith that wasn't connected to anything else. They had interconnected faith. Uh, you see in churches a lot of times, or maybe on ads online, this phrase, better together, or together is better. I, I like the phrase. It's cute, it's nice, it looks good on a t-shirt, right? It's awesome. But I have a problem with the phrase, and here's that, or here's what it is. I think it falls short. Because it still sets up that together is an option you can choose. As a Christian, we may say together is better. Well, you know, we, we encourage you to, to get connected with people. We encourage you to share what's going on in your life. We encourage you to have somebody in your life that you speak about what God is teaching you and learn from them together. And so we say, oh, together is better. But I think we should really change that to together is best. It's very clear that solo Christianity is not biblical Christianity. Nowhere in the Bible will you find somebody that was just walk, walking with Jesus on their own. No, solo Christianity is not biblical Christianity. We need others around us and with us and walking alongside us. That's why on Wednesday nights, 
I, I like to have you around a table where you're sharing and thinking and talking through what is God teaching you. It's why experiencing God over the fall was so beneficial to our church because we weren't doing our Christian life alone. Ed Stetzer has a fantastic quote in his book, Transformational Groups. I've quoted this hundreds of times. It says this, if you do discipleship alone, some of you are already going, okay, don't know what that means. Let me, let me break it down. If you try to follow Jesus alone, he says this, if you try to follow him alone, your spiritual development is at best slowed and at worst warped. If you think that just by yourself you can get all of the answers, know all of what to do, and to do it all by yourself, at best case, you're going to be slower than if you were living in community with others trying to do this faith together. And at worst, warped. Because I misinterpret passages all the time. And I supposedly, or I do, not supposedly, I have a degree that says I can study the Bible. <laughs> and I still misinterpret. Man, the first few times reading through Job, I'm like, man, his friends sound really smart. They seem to be getting this right. And then I go, wait a second, no, that is not doctrine um, and all of this. If we try to do this alone, we can fall off cliffs and run down wrong pathways very quickly. I said, and we print it on shirts all the time, Cooper May probably has 10 shirts with this on it, faith forms best with friends. We need others around us. Even when Adam was in the garden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I don't think that's just talking about a spouse. Jesus was alone. He didn't have a spouse. But he had friends, and he had community, and he had brothers and sisters in the faith. It is not good for us to be alone. It's not biblical for us to be alone. Um, the Christian life is not an individual journey towards holiness. That's what we've made it, an individual journey towards holiness. Honestly, it's a communal hike with a shared guide. We need to see that Christianity is a communal hike. We're on this journey together. So that word fellowship that they had, it really just means partnership. They were together. They were connected. They were partners with one another. It was a mutual time. They weren't just sharing space like in a sanctuary. They were sharing their lives. So we've seen that they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. It says also they were devoted to breaking of bread. This shows that the believers didn't just spend time in church services. Oftentimes, all that we do with Christian folks or our church people is, oh, well, at church we did this, and at church we did this, and we're at church on Sundays, and we come on Wednesdays, and then we have a work day on a Saturday, and at church... But, but the believers in this early church were connected beyond the times of service. There were mills and mills and homes. They, they were connected together. This idea of breaking bread was, I think, as I've researched it, it it's both the concept of sharing dinner and sharing the Lord's Supper with one another. There was a sacred sacramental component, but also there was just a hanging out and eating good food component. To simplify it, here's what breaking bread means. It means having supper and having the Lord's Supper together. Does that make sense? That, that's what they were doing. That's what, how they were gathered. And finally, it says there was prayer. 
If you've been paying attention this year, you know that we've put a lot of focus on prayer. Every devotion we've sent out this year has talked about prayer. Every Wednesday night that we've met together, we've been equipping you to pray. And, and so prayer is a central focus because I, I'm more and more convinced every day, even as we go down this journey, that God wants to revolutionize our church and it needs to start with prayer. There are some people in this room right now that God has been preparing you to lead our church in prayer. You and I may have not have had a single conversation about it, but you know right now when I said there are people in this room, I truly believe that God has already begun in the hearts of some people in this room to prepare you to lead us to be a church that prays and believes that God will do great things. And so I see, and I, I want to just affirm for that, for those of you in that way, that God does want to use you, and we need you to lead out as we are leaning into being a praying church. Those conversations are going to come, but just continue to trust and to listen to as God leads you. So the basics of verse 42 are very clear. The early church was devoted continually and continuously persisting in what? Seeking out the truth, fellowshipping with one another, being in relationship with one another, and praying for and with one another. And look at verses 43 through 47 again. Matt, if you'll throw those on the screen for me. Verse 43. Look what happens when the basics are focused on. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When we are devoted to the right things, God works in miraculous and life-changing ways. He works in, through, and around us in ways that we can only give Him the credit for. Verse 44 and 45, when we're devoted to fellowship and to His teaching and to prayer and to being together, what happens? Verses 44 and 45... All who believed, they share everything in common. Verse 45, there was no needs among them. As they had proceeds, they would sell them and give. Now, what we see is sacrificial living coming in response to the sacrifice of who Jesus is and what he has done. Sacrificial living in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. This is not setting up some kind of sacred socialism. All right? That's not what is happening here. It wasn't that every single person had the exact same amount, no. But as needs arose, those who had more were willingly releasing what they had for the good of those around them. They were living sacrificially so that all can be taken care of. It wasn't a prescribed plan that everybody has to do this or do that or can only have this much, no. But it was seeing needs and meeting needs. There was a Deuteronomy kind of command and ideal set up. I think it's Deuteronomy 15, where, where God said, there should be no poor among you. And the early believers were living this out going, nobody is going to suffer in our midst. We want to take care of our own. 
when we get the devotion right and we are devoted to the right thing, signs and wonders happen, sacrificial living happens. Verse 46, there's a commitment to Christ, a commitment to the faith. Day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread, receiving with generous hearts. There is a commitment to community and to one another. What we see very clearly is that following Christ was a daily commitment, not a Sunday task. Too many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking about our spiritual life just in, did I go to church this week or not? Just in, did I pray once or twice this week or not? Just in, did my Bible move once or twice this week or not? Following Christ is a daily commitment, not a Sunday task. It's interesting. They've done some research on what constitutes a regular attender to a church. They started with pastors. And they asked pastors, what is, who's a regular attender? How often do they have to come? And about 25% of the pastors said, if a person comes one time a month, we're going to count that as a regular attender. Some other pastors says, well, I don't know about one time a month. About, so that was about a quarter of the pastors said one time a month. 30% of the pastors said anybody that shows up to two things a month, we consider a regular attender. Then they ask congregants, what constitutes a regular attender? How would you, where would you say you're a regular attender or not? 86% of congregation members said, if you show up one time a month, that is regular attendance to a church. Friends, it's no wonder why so many of us are struggling in our spiritual walks. It's no wonder why our churches have lost power, and it's no wonder why we can't really go and be light in the community because we're just kind of showing up once every 30 days, once every four weeks. I mean, think about if we committed that much effort and energy to relationships in our life. I'm going to give you an hour or so. You know what? I mean, if I, if I gave my wife and said, I'll give you an hour once a month, that'll be good. No. Our relationship would suffer. If I said to my son, I'll give you an hour once a month. We can do whatever you want. But let's do it like, let's sing the songs I like, you know, and, and don't let it go over an hour because I get hungry. My relationship with my son would suffer. If I said, I'm going to go to the gym one hour a month, I would not be as jacked as I am. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if I said, you know what, I'm going to give that amount of effort to work. I wouldn't be working there long. We, we, we've bought into, I can just give a little bit, and, and God is so powerful, you know, I'm just kind of appeasing him. No. Friends, what we see in the basics is there was a daily commitment. There was a constant, persistent, continual connection to teaching and fellowship and prayer and relationship. We wonder why God's not working. We're not giving him any space to work. And finally, we see in verse 47, lives are changed. Day by day, he was adding to their number. You want to be an effective witness for Christ? Be devoted to his word. Be devoted to fellowship. Be devoted to relationships with others and be devoted to prayer. And I bet God works in and through you to do things that, he's, that you've never seen done before. In verses 42 through 47, we see the original design of the church. 
before the buildings and budgets, before the programs and polity, before all the excess came in, we see what were the basics. And some of you may scoff. Well, that's just an ideal picture, Jordan. You're too naive. You're too young. That's a utopia. You don't get life. Okay, you're right. This church is going to struggle. This church is going to dispute. They're going to debate. They're going to disagree, and they're going to get things wrong. But I warn you about dismissing the ideal picture. Because when we dismiss the ideal, you know what we do? We settle for what's less than ideal. When we dismiss the ideal, we settle for what's less than ideal. Just because we're not like that doesn't mean we shouldn't aim for that, or doesn't mean we shouldn't desire that, or doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect that, or doesn't mean that we shouldn't want that. I would love for everybody in this room to it, for it to be said over the next month even, Man, they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to praying. They were devoted to spending relationship with one another. They were devoted to fellowshipping and, and caring about one another, being in partnership with one another. I don't want to just settle. Church, we and most churches in our country have settled for what is less than ideal. See, we, we, we've settled for sporadic attendance rather than commitment. We, we've settled for petty disputes rather than unity. We've settled for building buildings rather than building His kingdom. We've settled for sharing space with one another and not sharing our lives with one another. We have settled for just being associates with one another rather than being participants in each other's lives. You've probably heard me teach this this way, and I'm just going to do it again because it's the only way I know how to teach the difference. Church, we have operated like passengers on the plane for too long. Let me explain that. We all come in and we make pleasantries, we smile at a few people, and then the people we're sitting beside, we speak to for a few minutes before the plane takes off. Well, how are you? How's your day going? Where are you from? And then the second that we've gotten through the pleasantries, we've found our assigned seat that we better not, nobody else better be in our seat. We've set everything down, and now we just need the person in charge just to get us to where we're supposed to be going. So we just sit and we watch. And we're all hoping for the same destination, I think. We're all hoping to get to the same place, but we don't really care about what's going on with 25A or 36B or, I mean, we want to be the people that sit on 3C. I mean, that's the first class spot, but they're just associates. We, we just share a space at the same time together, but friends, we're called to share our lives, to share our hurts to share our pains, to share our burdens, to share our celebrations. We're supposed to be not like riding a plane, but like rafting down a river. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, uh, it's a pretty intense experience. You've got to put your helmet on because there's danger. I think you sign a waiver saying you could die. We don't think of the church that way, do we? We put on a helmet for church people that are going to hit us, not from the world that's going to hit us. But as you're going down the rafts, I mean the rapids, 
you're falling all over each other. You're being helped up. You're helping others up. You're, you're laughing together. You're celebrating together. You're working together. You have to be rowing in unison. You have to be rowing in the same direction or else you are going to crash. But we don't think of it that way, do we? We need to be participants in each other's lives, not associates around each other. We need to stop just being members of the same club. We need to be participants in the same mission. That is what the early church was about, and that is what this church must be about. We have settled. We have settled for sharing space rather than sharing our lives. So let me end with an illustration. I'll give a caveat. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 only makes sense if your life has been changed by Jesus. It only makes sense if he is your Savior and Lord. It only makes sense if, he, if your life is surrendered to him and you are seeking to follow him. This was describing the people who had responded to the conviction of Peter's sermon and who have lived differently because what Christ has done changes everything. So this only makes sense if you are surrendered. But, but let me tell you this. If you're surrendered to Christ, then nothing else makes sense but verses 42 through 47. If you're surrendered to Christ, if he is your Lord, if he is the Christ, if he is your Messiah, if he is your Savior, then nothing else makes sense. I, uh, I was hanging out with a friend the other day, and my friend is very outspoken against Christianity. He calls it a hoax, a wish, a dream. He knows what I do. He, he, it sounds like he's a jerk. He, he's not a jerk, but he believes in what he believes. And I asked him a question. Uh, his family, there was an opportunity for his family to do something at a church a couple weeks ago. And I asked, I said, hey, did you take your daughter to that? I knew a lot of her friends were going to be there. I knew it was kind of a big deal. I said, did you take your daughter to that at the church? And he said, I did, but I made sure that they would not convert me. He was sort of playing, but he was also serious. And every time I'm about to hang out with that person, I always pray ahead of time, just that God will give me the words to speak and just see the right things to do. He said, I, I watched out so they would not convert me. And I just said, in a nice way, I said, well, I'll tell you this. For them, it means everything. And it would be wrong for them not to want to convert you because we believe it is the most life-changing, life-impacting thing that could ever happen to you. He kind of laughed it off. And, but I, I really, I think I said it in this phrase. I said, well, the reason they would do that is it's a really big deal. Salvation's a really big deal. I got to thinking about this. I didn't know how to end. And so Carla and I sat on the couch last night at 8.30 and I was thought, well, maybe this will be the way we can end it today. Does the practice of your faith actually point to it being a really big deal? Does how you live your life every day really point to the fact that what Jesus did on that cross is a really big deal for you? See, we, we say songs, Jesus Gave it all, 
All to him I owe. But you know what? We struggle just owing him a Sunday. We, we struggle just owing him 10% of what he has blessed us with. We struggle with owing him our words because we prefer to use these words. We struggle with owing him our family and our kids and, and, and believing that he knows best. We may sing, all to him I owe, but our practice is, God, I just want the benefits of you, but I don't want the burden of you. It's a really big deal. Salvation is a really big deal. That's a really big deal to how I live every day. The way I like to say it is this. Changed lives live changed lives. If you've come to understand the truth of the story of God and what he has done for you, then the only response that makes sense is to live differently. They lived day by day devoted to their God. My prayer for you is that day by day, today more than yesterday and tomorrow more than today, that you will be devoted to God, where he is leader and Lord, ruling and reigning of your life. Let me pray for us.